What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Malari. So tonight is my last Tuesday night episode of my time here at BC. I usually do have a time slot from 7, 8 o'clock here on WZBC AM Sports Radio. Tonight, we'll not be able to do the 7 to 8 window, unfortunately, since we have the Dance of the Decades dance tonight for the senior week uh, formals. There's two formals. There's one tonight. Dance for the Decades at Royale in Boston, and then we have the Friday night commencement ball at the Boston Sheraton Hotel, but unfortunately, won't be able to do the 7 to 8 normal time window that I typically do every Tuesday night, so tonight, I'll probably be on from right now for about another hour, maybe 7, 7, 15, we'll see how things go, I know it's obviously not the usual time slot, so if people can't listen in, no worries at all, uh, if you have to go at some point, I understand, appreciate everybody listening in always, though, whether it's for a minute or the full hour, Thank you guys so much for everything in between, whether it's my first episode or one of my last ones, whether it's tonight, anything in between from last year to now. Thank you guys so much for listening in. I wouldn't be able to do any of this without you guys, so much appreciated. From the bottom of my heart, thank you guys yet again. We'll see if I can have one more episode. I'm hoping to have one more like grand finale episode tonight. Did not really get to do that, unfortunately. It's been a busy last week. Finished my last final last Friday, my evolutionary economics exam. Finished that on Friday. Got that over with. That was my last exam. So my career at BC, exams-wise and work-wise, is over now. I'm waiting to graduate next Monday when we walk across the stage on May 22nd. Uh, so just about six days from now. So the next week is senior week. Very busy week. Last night went to the Red Sox game. So tough loss against the Mariners. Had really good seats, though, thankfully. Uh, and credit to my friend Jack Flaherty and his dad, Mike Flaherty. I appreciate you guys getting those tickets. We had some great seats right behind the Red Sox dugout. Just about to the left of it, had a great view of home plate. Basically, we were on the field with Jaron Duran, Alex Verdugo, Tana Hoke. My three favorite players got to see Duran in the lineup last night as a leadoff hitter. Got to see Alex Verdugo batting second and got to see Tana Hoke on the mound all up close, which was great. So that was obviously a great time. Even though the Red Sox did lose that game 10-1, to it was still a blast being there. Uh, the Red Sox have been struggling as of late, though, losing six of the last seven games. They are 4-6 and six in the last 10, losing 6 of the last 7, as I said. Uh, they did split that series with the Atlanta Braves uh, last week, that two-game series, last Tuesday and Wednesday. That was impressive, but losing 3 in a row to Seattle, uh, not Seattle, well, losing 1 to Seattle, but losing 3 in a row to the St. Louis Cardinals at home, and especially the degree and what the Red Sox had. I mean, in those games, if you look at the degree that the Red Sox lost with in those, in those games, they're up two runs. Or one run heading into the bottom of the ninth, or top of the ninth inning against the St. Louis Cardinals on Friday night. And Kenley Jansen comes in, fresh off his 400 save, and he gives up three runs in the top of the ninth inning. And that's that's it. At the end of the day, the Red Sox lose that game. And Jansen's great. Seventh pitcher in MLB history of 400 saves. Definitely a Hall of Famer. But comes in. In a big situation, it gives up three runs in the top of the ninth inning. And the Red Sox lose that game in the bottom of the ninth, getting no runs, losing that game 8-6. to six. Then Saturday, yet again, Kenley Jensen comes in. This time, the Red Sox have a 3-1 to one lead going into the top of the ninth inning. And what does Jensen do? One inning, giving up one hit, two earned runs with three walks. Friday night, which was the first night you know he went in the game, three earned runs on three hits, giving up a home run and a walk. So two bad outings in a row for Kenley Jansen. The Red Sox lose two of those games right there Friday, Saturday to the Cardinals and then lose on Sunday Night Baseball as well. The Red Sox have been struggling as of late. I wasn't going to start this episode with the Red Sox. It was originally going to be a lot of NBA talk, but I figured since I'm already in here, 
Might as well talk some uh, Red Sox to start off since I'm talking about Senior Week. I'm going to hopefully have Paul from Southie come on at some point uh, in the middle of the episode, maybe even it's for five minutes, to talk about the Celtics and the Red Sox. Probably won't be too long. No he's got a busy night ahead of him, but going to have him on, hopefully, to come on and talk about the Celtics and the Red Sox for just a minute or so. Uh, get his thoughts on the Celtics Heat Series, which begins tomorrow night, and then talk about the Red Sox as well, who have been struggling. I have found a way to stay confident in this team, even throughout all the struggles. I know a lot of people have lost confidence in them. I believed in them when they lost four in a row to the Tampa Bay Rays about a month ago now. Then they ended up taking three or four against the Angels, which was huge, and then found a way to go on a win streak. And things were looking great for two or three weeks. And that's the problem. I think with this Red Sox team, it's just a lot of streaks, winning and losing. It's like the game of basketball. A lot of runs. Two runs, three runs. And what I mean by runs is winning-wise. You win two or three games in a row, it's just like the game of basketball. 8-0 runs, 7-0 runs, 6-0 runs, they get you right back in the game if the 8-0 runs in your favor. If you give up an 8-0 run, either gets you further from the lead and puts you further back, or if you have the lead, it diminishes. And that's just what the Red Sox were doing. They've just been a very streaky team all year. And I'm starting to find a way to, to – I've found a way. I was going to say I started to find a way. I have found a way to stay confident in this team. But I know many, many people have lost confidence, and I get it. When you look at the Red Sox division – Best division of baseball, it's the worst division of baseball to screw around and lose six of seven games. Considering how good this division is, everybody around you is winning most of the time. The Rays are great. The Orioles are great this year. The Blue Jays are finding their stride now. The Yankees have been struggling a little. They're not as good as they typically are, but they have a lot of injuries. So the Red Sox have to figure out a way to get more consistency. And I don't know what the answer is. Kenley Jensen blowing those two games, that was awful. That's two wins you should have in your back pocket. Two more wins. So we'll see where the Sox go. Going to have Paul from Southie come on at some point. Paul, the Sports Encyclopedia, is going to come on and talk about the Red Sox and talk about the Celtics, as I said. So let me start off with the NBA. Tonight is the NBA draft lottery, so I'm going to break down the odds of who has the potential to get the first overall pick. Right now, 14 teams in the draft lottery. All 14 teams have at least somewhat of a shot for the first overall pick. The Detroit Pistons have the 14 have a 14% chance of the first overall pick. The Houston Rockets have a 14% chance at the first overall pick. The San Antonio Spurs have a 14% chance at the first overall pick. All three of those teams have a 14% chance at the number one overall selection. All the teams are pretty favorable chances to get a top four pick as well. All of them having a 52.1% chance to get a top four pick. Then after that, the Hornets have a 12.5% chance at the first overall pick. They have a 48% chance at a top four pick. The... Portland Trailblazers have a 10.5% chance at the first overall pick, 42% chance at the fourth, a top four pick. Then after that, the Magic have a 9% chance, the Pacers have a 6.8% chance, the Wizards have a 6.7% chance, the Jazz have a 4.5% chance. I love the Jazz and and what they're doing. I think they're going to build and become a very good team in the future. They have great draft capital. And then you look at that young core of Walker Kessler, who's great, Ochai Abaji, Colin Sexton, Semantic's good. I like that young core there for the Jazz I think they're going to be a good team a year or two from now. I really like what I saw from them this past year. And I love Kelly Linick as well. Laurie Markkinen had a great year as well. I think that Jazz team, two years from now, is going to be a very dangerous team in the NBA. Going to be probably, probably not this year. I was going to say it could be a five or six seed this year. Maybe one more year, one more year after this year. I think they'll still contend for a playing spot where there's a seven, eight, nine, or 10 seed in the West. But not this upcoming season. Maybe next year. We'll see what they do in the offseason. Obviously, this is... Just off the top of my head here, and we'll see what they do in the offseason and in the draft. 
But I would say I think the Jazz two years from now are going to be a top four seed in the West for a four or five year window. They have one of the best minds in all of basketball. Danny Ainge there in their front office have a very good young core and have a lot of draft capital, just like the Oklahoma City Thunder. So up next, after the Jazz at the 4.5% chance for the first overall pick, the Knicks and the Mavericks have a 3% chance at the first overall pick. Dallas keeps the pick if it's a top 10 pick. If it's 11 through 14, the New York Knicks pick that one up. Uh, the Chicago Bulls and the Orlando Magic have a 1.8% chance at the first overall pick. Chicago keeps that pick if it's in the top four. If it is outside of the top four, it goes to the Orlando Magic. Then you have the Thunder with a 1.7% chance at the first overall pick. The Raptors with a 1% chance at the first overall pick. And the New Orleans Pelicans with a 0.5% chance at the first overall pick. So last year in the draft lottery, it went Orlando, Oklahoma City, Houston, Sacramento. We'll see what holds uh, this year. The lottery draws to the first four picks. It goes Detroit, the Rockets, the Spurs, and the Hornets right now for the four best odds at the first overall pick. So the lottery draws to the first Four picks in the draft, one through four. And then after that, the remaining teams go five through 14 based on their record. So we'll see what happens. But all 14 of those teams in the draft lottery have a chance at the first overall selection. And one guy you're going to hear a lot about, whether you're watching ESPN or looking up some prospects in this year's draft, is Victor Wambanyama, who plays for the French uh, Professional League in France, the LNB Pro A League, plays for them, which is the highest professional league in basketball in France. He averaged 21.6 points per game this past year, 10.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 3.1 blocks off 46.8% shooting from the floor. He's just 19 years old, 7'4", he's 7'5", with shoes on, an 8-foot wingspan, born and raised in France, 230 pounds, and is highly regarded as the best European prospect ever. And according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN today, he thinks he might be the greatest draft prospect ever. Might be the greatest draft prospect ever. And whether or not you believe that, I mean, obviously it's hard to say who's going to be the best draft prospect. I think everybody looks at LeBron James when they do that, or Kobe Bryant even, even though Kobe didn't go first overall. You look at the... Kobe went 13th, which I thought, he was, I thought it was you know just around 10. He went 13th. But you look at best draft prospects ever, you look at LeBron James. You look at Zion Williamson even was highly regarded. You look at a guy like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Those guys, highly, highly regarded. Just like LeBron James, highly regarded. And if you look at it, in this year's draft, it's Victor Wombanyama with the first overall pick, Scoot Henderson with the second overall pick probably, and then after that, anything goes. But the first overall pick will be Victor Wombanyama as I said, probably the best European prospect ever. And according to Woj, Wambanyama is the greatest draft prospect in the history of sports. He said the greatest prospect in all of sports history, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, the greatest prospect in the history of team sports. And that includes, like I said, LeBron James, Zion Williamson, includes all those guys. And he has Wambanyama as the best draft prospect of all time in the NBA and sports history in general. So including greater than guys like, like John Elway, greater than Peyton Manning, greater than Eli Manning, higher than all of those guys. Trevor Lawrence, who knew he was going to be the first overall pick in the 2020 draft, 
or 2021 draft it was, before he was even in 8th and ninth grade. Trevor Lawrence knew he was going to go first overall. So we'll see what happens. Wambanyama, crazy talented player, impressive defender, great rebounder, gets to the rim with ease, uses the size very well, has the upside to take over a game, and definitely has the upside to help a franchise turn the history of the franchises losing around. And all four of those franchises right now in the top four, the Pistons, the Rockets, the Spurs, Hornets, have recently been going through some tough times. I like the future of the Pistons. Jalen Duran and uh, Jaden Ivey last year in the first round, two great first-round uh, picks. I think those guys are going to be great. I think if you match them with a Victor Wombanyama, it's going to be ridiculous to see what that team can do. I like the future of the Pistons. I like the future of the Jazz. Two of those teams are going to be very dangerous in the West and the, in the East and the West, respectively. And then also another team in the West, the Thunder, obviously, considering how many draft picks they have. And I like what the Houston Rockets are building as well in Houston. So we'll see what happens. But there will be a very lucky team tonight that is gifted Victor Wombanyama. Uh, tonight is the draft lottery, as I said. I believe it starts at 8 o'clock. Uh, I'm just going to double check here and make sure. 8 o'clock on ESPN tonight. So we'll see what happens. I will give my thoughts on that after the uh, lottery is over with. So now I'm going to move on and talk about the Celtics and the Sixes. The Celtics won that series in seven games. Impressive game seven win for the Celtics. They blew out Philadelphia 112-88 to on Sunday. With the game tied at 55 points in the third quarter, the Celtics won on a 25-3 to run against the Sixes. They finished that quarter in the third quarter, outscoring Philly 33-10 to in the third quarter. And then after that, Really never looked back, winning that game by 24 points. Jason Tatum took over in the third quarter. 5 of 7 shooting from the floor. three of, Or 4 for 5 from 3. I was going to say 3 of 4 from 3. He was 4 for 5 from 3 in the third quarter with 17 points and 3 rebounds. Obviously, you look at Tatum's performance in games 5 and 6. Started very slow in both those games. Game 6 was very cold. Started that game just 1 of 14 from the floor and 0 of 6 from 3. And then the fourth quarter went off for 16 fourth quarter points in game six, hitting four of his final five threes in that game in game six, giving the Celtics a big game six win and forcing game seven back in Boston. And if you look at what he did in game seven, so he had a great fourth quarter in game six, 16 points in the fourth quarter in game six. Going into game seven, obviously a lot was on the line for the Celts, and he delivered 51 points off 17 to 28 shooting from the floor. 6-10 from 3, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals. His 51 points was the most in-game 7 history of the NBA. So very impressive. Very impressive there. 51 points. I know I've had my issues with Jason Tatum. I know I've had my critiques of him. I still, even though he's a very good player, do not get me wrong here. I still don't know if you can win with Jason Tatum. Obviously, yes, you can get to the NBA Finals. I'm not saying that. But I think he's a, I, if I look at the way he plays, he does fade a lot of the time in big moments. He's letting Marcus Smart take a lot of big shots, which I complained about last week. Obviously, he stepped up in Game 6 and Game 7. Game 6, obviously, had a great fourth quarter. Started very cold, though, as I said, in the first three quarters. And then Game 7 came up big. So I can't fault him. For Game 7, that was probably the best game of his whole entire career. And the biggest moment as well. But the way the Bruins went down, if the Celtics went down in a Game 7 like that, after both teams had very historic seasons... The Bruins obviously have a more historic season than the Celtics, but regardless, both of those teams losing in the first and second rounds, respectively, would just be ridiculous to see, considering the high regards we had for both teams in Boston. Everybody already stamped in the Bruins to win the NHL Finals, Stanley Cup, the Stanley Cup Finals. Did that happen? No. 
And same thing with the Celtics. Everybody kind of stamped in the Celtics at least going to the Eastern Conference Finals and facing the Bucs. And if the Celtics lost that game, obviously the Bucs weren't there, losing to the Heat last round, or two rounds ago now in the first round. It would have been very disappointing to see. So the Celtics had to win that game in Game 7. But my critique with Jason Tatum is, I don't think he's the best team player. I think he fades in big moments. Obviously, yes, he came up big in that fourth quarter in Game 6. But when you shoot at 1-14 from the floor and over 6-3, you've got to think at some point, you're probably going to hit a couple of shots and you get some momentum, which he did. So credit to him. He had a great Game 6 fourth quarter and a great Game 7. And I know my mom's a big fan of Tatum. I know a lot of Boston fans are big fans of Tatum. People listening right now, I'm sure you guys are big fans of Tatum as well. Obviously, very flashy player, very good talent, and is one of the best players in the NBA. I put him around 10 to 12 in the NBA. I know most people probably have him around 7, top 7. But I put him around 10 to 12. But I don't think he's the best team player, as I said. Had a lot of turnovers in the NBA Finals last year. Probably could have gotten critiqued even more last year for his performance in the NBA Finals. His poor shooting at the free throw line, his poor turnovers, his poor decision-making, his poor shooting overall last year against the Warriors and the whole series in the NBA Finals. There's a lot of ways you can go about it. I've never been the biggest Tatum fan, but regardless, came up big in Game 7. Cannot come at him for that. 51 points, as I said, and probably the biggest game of his entire life. But I still don't buy in completely. And if you look, I think he has, what, three years left on his deal here? Let me see. Make sure I got that right. I believe he has three years left on his deal. I think there's a chance that two years from now, three years from now, when his contract's up, let's see. So he has three more years. Two more years guaranteed and then a player option in 2025-2026. If he picks that up for $37 million, which there is zero chance I think he does that, he would be an, undraft, or an unrestricted free agent in 2026. So realistically, he will be a free agent after the 2024-2025 season. So two more seasons of Jason Tatum. I think there's a chance he ends up in the Lakers after that. He opts out of his contract after the 2024-2025 season ends. He's a free agent in the 2025 summer. I think he ends up in L.A. That has nothing to do with his performance in Game 7. doesn't really have anything to do with how I think he is as a player. I just think he, I think in two years from now, I think he could be gone. So I think the Celtics, realistically, chances of winning, obviously if he stays and if Jalen Brown stays, that's different. If both guys stay, their chances of winning, their window is a lot bigger than just two years. But your guaranteed window of winning is just right now in the next two seasons in my eyes. So Jason Tatum had no option but to get things together in Game 7. Had no option. As I said, I think there's one more year, two more years, so this season right now, this playoff run, and then two more years, I think Jason Tatum realistically could be gone from the Celtics. So we'll see what happens. So that's why I think that was a must-win for Tatum in the Celtics. As I said, about the biggest Tatum fan, I think he's overrated. I think he fades at big moments. I think he loves shooting off-balance, fadeaway, step-back, one-footed threes. And he does take a lot of play a lot of plays where in the NBA Finals where he'd be complaining to a ref after not getting a no call, whether it was a foul or not, I get it. You still can't leave your teammates out to dry in a five on four against the Golden State Warriors who love playing a transition offense and kick it out to the three after driving. You can't. So that's where the team player comes in. Doesn't love to take big shots. And when he does, sometimes fades in those moments. And trust me, he's hit some big shots in his career. I'm not saying he has hit none. I'm not saying he hasn't hit any. But last year and this year, a lot of big moments, Brown and Smart, uh, Brown and Tatum are deferring to Marcus Smart. And that can't be the case. So Tatum, in his last five quarters, he has 67 points scored. 51 points, I said, is the most overall in a Game 7 in NBA history. 
They didn't need the craziest game out of Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown had 25.6 rebounds, two assists, two steals, and two blocks in Game 7. Very good game defensively, though. Two steals and two blocks. They didn't need a big game out of him, considering how great Jason Tatum played. So that's a good uh, run there for the Celtics winning that game. If you look at the other side, what happened to James Harden and Joel Embiid? In games 5 through 7, James Harden scored zero points in any of the fourth quarters. 5, 6, and 7. Games 5, 6, and 7, James Harden had zero points in any of those fourth quarters. Zero points. In crunch time, big, big moments where you have to step up the most. Zero points in the fourth quarter of the last three games. That's inexcusable. Ben Simmons in his last three playoff games with the Philadelphia 76ers, he had five points in his last three fourth quarters. James Harden in his last three fourth quarters in the playoffs with the Philadelphia 76ers, zero points. And we'll see what happens with James Harden, but I think there's a chance he leaves. So we'll see what happens. If that's it for James Harden in Philly, that means he's going out with three fourth quarter performances with zero points in all three of those. So we'll see. He has a player option for this next season and can opt out this summer instead of playing next year, which I think he's going to do. And it seems like he could be out of Philly and it could be the end of him there. Would not be surprised to see him back in Houston. Houston, as I said, has a very good chance of the first overall pick in tonight's draft. And they have a very nice young core as well. So if you add, let's say, Victor Wambanyama somehow, they get the first overall pick. You'd have Wambanyama with Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Kenyon Martin Jr., Alperon Schengen, and James Harden. Still probably a couple years away from contending, but that team could be a dangerous team, considering all that young talent. I would love to see Wambanyama on, on the Detroit Pistons, though. Ivy, Duran, Wambanyama, that'd be a great sight to see. That's a big three for the future. If, if that could be a legitimate case or, or a leg, legitimate thing that happens in tonight's draft lottery. If that happens, that would be unreal to see. I'd be, I'd, I'd be stoked to see that. But we'll see, obviously. That's not guaranteed. As for the Sixers, though, in that game seven, they needed a better performance out of Joel Embiid. They need a better performance out of James Harden. Neither one of those guys stepped up. And this is game seven. I mean, this is your chance. To come up big and become a, a, a legend. If you have a big game seven, you are, are a legend forever. And they didn't do that. Neither guy came up big. And credit to Paul, the sports encyclopedia, he said before game seven, he said, I think James Harden and Joel Embiid are going to be cold today. He called it. And what were both guys in that game? Ice cold. Ice cold. And it's surprising, honestly. Because if you look at how good that James Harden was playing, he was a big reason this series went seven games. And credit to Joel Embiid as well. He's a big reason it went seven games too. But if you look at it, you would never have expected James Harden and Joel Embiid to be that cold. Never. You'd never expect that. Considering how good those two players were, obviously Joel Embiid in the regular season was the MVP of the NBA. And then you look at a guy like James Harden who isn't the score he once was, but is still capable of giving you 30 points any given night, it's crazy to say that both guys would come up that flat in a Game 7. You would never expect that, ever. And I don't know who to blame more. Is it Embiid, or would you consider it being James Harden? I don't know, it's a good question. I would probably lean more towards it being on Joel Embiid, and I'm more of an Embiid fan, 
But Embiid, you're the MVP of the NBA. And even though Harden did have a cold game seven, you'd expect more from Joel Embiid. Because Harden's had some cold games for Philly. Joel Embiid typically gives you 25 any given night. But if you look at what Embiid did in that game, 15 points off 5 of 18 shooting from the floor, 0 of 4 from 3 with 8 rebounds and 2 blocks. James Harden, 9 points off 3 of 11 shooting from the floor, 1 of 5 from 3, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals and a block. The sixes needed those guys to step up more in those big moments, and they didn't. They faded. They faded. And I think if James Harden's gone, which Tyrese Maxey, this past year, averaged 20.3 points per game in the regular season, a 48% shooting from the floor and 43% shooting from three, averaging just about a steal per game, three and a half assists and three rebounds per game in the regular season. I think if you already look at it, Maxey was already the second option on this team. And I think even next year, if James Harden comes back and not, I think Maxey steps up his role even more. And if Harden's gone, that's even more shots on Maxey. A young, bright, budding star in the NBA. But the Sixers needed to beat and hard to step up, and neither guy came a big shooting. I combined 8 of 29 from the floor in that game, 1 of 9 from 3, and combining for 24 points and 14 rebounds. They needed more than 24 combined points from their two stars. They needed more. So give me just one second here. Going to get Paul from Celtics on to talk about the Celtics Heat Series. I'll be back with you guys in just one second. Here we are back with Paul, the Sports Encyclopedia. How are we doing tonight, Paul? Good, Joe. How are you doing tonight? Doing well. Great to hear your voice. Thank you for coming on again. Probably you lead probably the records of most appearances on the show, whether it's on the podcast or the radio show. So thank you for coming on and always finding the time. Great lead-off hitter. It's a pleasure. Much appreciated you coming on, as always. We'll start off. You've got about five minutes. So we'll do a minute on the Sox, or two minutes on the Sox, three minutes on the Celts and Heat. Sox losing six of the last seven games. Obviously struggling. One positive is Chris Sale pitched great on Friday night. Probably deserved the win. But obviously, Kenley Jensen coming in and blowing that game, that was awful, obviously awful to see. But what have you seen out of the Sox? I know you're starting to lose slight confidence in them. I was so disappointed they were rolling. And then the Cardinals come in. I think the Cardinals are struggling like a last-place team, and they sweep us. I, I know you can pin the first two losses on Jensen, who was having a tremendous year up until the 400th save and, and then the two games against the Cardinals. But it just – the whole momentum shifted, and, and we lost it all now. And – uh What's the losing streak, up to four? Yeah, it's four and six of the last seven games. And like you said earlier, you can't fool around in this division. No, you can't. You can't. I mean, one positive, though, is Chris Sales, the Saturday game, not the Friday game, went eight innings, giving up just three hits, one run. That was a home run. Nine strikeouts, one walk, 110 pitches. That's one positive. Oh, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost at the point where you can say he's back. I mean, uh, that, that slider, his, his velocity, 98. 97 almost on a consistent basis. He's back. 98, 97, 98 he's been hitting. He's been great. He's that, back, that, which is obviously a positive. He's got a lot of strikeouts. he got like 11 strikeouts a couple of times. He did. He has done that. On the F5-4 ERA, which obviously isn't great, but if you look at his stats, 43 and a third innings pitched with 54 strikeouts. Pretty good. Yeah, no, uh, we certainly need him in, but, you know, but... One of those games we blew against the Cardinals was was his start. So we really Saturday. need to win the, the games he pitches. 100%. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, they lose last night uh, to the Seattle Mariners. Tonight, they're playing them again. Two more games. Then go on a West Coast trip. They play San Diego for three games, the Angels for three games, and then Arizona for three games. 
All three teams are above 500 by at least a couple games. The Angels are 22 and 20. The Padres are two games under, so uh, it was a little bit off there, but very good lineup. 20 and 22 for the Padres, 22 and 20 for the Angels, and then the Arizona Diamondbacks are surprised 24 and 18. Uh, what do you think the Sox have to do in their next six, seven games? Well, that's two games against Seattle, three games against San Diego, three games against LA, three games against Arizona. So, what do you think they have to do in the next eleven games? Probably have to go seven and four to get back on track. Six and five. Well, it, it starts with winning series, so they would have to take the next two against Seattle, and uh, ideally, you want to win series. So, if they're three game series out there, you got to take two. I, I think that's the goal of every every manager. I mean, we were fortunate. We we, we beat Toronto bad. And we, when we played the Angels, didn't we take the Angels like three out of four? Three out of four, so, yep. Three out of four, yep. So um, we can play good baseball against the good team. So I'm I'm hoping if this trip is it's 11-game road trip, they would at least have to go seven and four. Uh, nine-game road trip with the two games against Seattle included in there. But oh, yes. Right. So nine games, I mean, ideally six and three would be uh, beautiful. a help. Road trip and get them right back into the wild card hunt, I think. 100%. I'm still confident in this team. Haven't lost hope. Hopefully they get themselves back on track. Let's shift over to the Celtics. Celtics Heat start tomorrow night, game one, the third time in four years where these two teams are matching up. What do you think about this series? Obviously, Celtics got a big game seven win against the Philadelphia 76s. I was just talking about how great Jason Tatum played in that game. He's not going to go for 51 every single night, so you can't expect that out of him. What do you think about this series? Uh, it's It's... it's... I think it's the two best teams in the East. I mean, uh, uh, Miami proved it. And I think the Celtics could have been like the best team uh, almost in the NBA all year. I, it's going to be a great series. I think the Celtics have more talent. And I'm, I'm not going to knock Missoula, but Spolstra to me is, if not the best coach in the league, in the top three. I think he's um, the best. I think he's the best. I thought Ty Lue. Ty Lue, which... He had some problems, obviously, this year with the rotation and guys being hurt in and out. No, don't know if I can blame him for that, but I would say Spolstra's the best coach in the NBA. Kerr's up there, I, too. No, I agree. I, I think the Celtics have a have a significant talent advantage. I mean, even if you say Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum is a wash, which I'm not sure it is because Jimmy Buckets has a way of elevating his game in the playoffs, even though Tatum, I agreed with what you said earlier, he had that monster uh, Game 7 uh, uh, second half especially. Um, yeah, you know, he, he still took the quarters off. In the last series against the Sixers, and you can't do that against probably a better team. I I think even after you go below that, you know their second best player at a bio. I I think Jalen Brown, even even though they play different positions, you know the talent advantage is, is all Celtics out after that. I mean uh, Jalen Brown is better than everything they got except for Jimmy Butler. I, I'll take Marcus and I'll take uh, Brogdon over Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. Over Struce and Vincent, who are streaky shooters, yeah. and if you leave them on guard and, and they get hot, you know they can burn you. I think Tyler Hero would be the Heat's third best player, and he should miss the entire series. So, I kind of think if both teams play to their potential, the Celtics will win in six, and that would be my prediction now. But if they take quarters off like they did against the Sixers, they're going to find themselves in a hole, and I'm not sure Miami will let them off the hook the way Philadelphia did in Game Six. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Philadelphia did let the Celtics go off in that fourth quarter of Game 6. Letting Jason Tatum obviously have 16 points in the fourth quarter, hitting four or five threes. That was obviously huge for the Celtics to get back on track. As for the Celtics overall, though, I agree with you. Talent-wise, they probably have more talent than, than Miami. Something about Miami, though, the way they play, they play with a very aggressive dog mentality, diving every loose ball, hard-nosed, 
blue chip, blue collar basketball. That's my type of player, obviously Jimmy Butler, and that's my type of team. That's why I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think if Tyler Hero is healthy, I think it'd be different, obviously. I think Hero, even though they said he's out until the NBA Finals with that broken hand that he suffered in the first round against Milwaukee, I think there's a chance if this goes 6 or 7, which it probably will, I think there's a chance he might try to force and try to come back. Well, he, he would be a, a, an incredible X factor. Like like I said, I think he's their third best player, and it's a big advantage for the Celtics that, that he can't play. So um, I think he might even be their second best player, honestly. I know, obviously, Bam probably overall better player because he's probably better defensively and obviously gets a lot of rebounds. But Hero scoring-wise, I mean, he's, he's obviously a big add in that lineup. Obviously, space is the floor well for Jimmy when you know you have a guy like Tyler Hero can just shoot threes lights out. You can't leave him open, so it opens up the paint a little more for a guy like Jimmy Butler and obviously Bam Adebayo even as well. I would expect the Celtics to, to – I, I think Robert Williams needs to elevate his game. I, I didn't see a hell of a lot in the Philadelphia series. I, I know the alley-oops are a great high-percentage shot, and a couple times a game they come in handy, but I need him to be a – you know, a better rim protector, and we cannot give up offensive rebounds. That's how you lose games like this. So if, if Robert Williams plays a significant amount of time, I think he can control the boards, and if we can limit Miami to one shot per possession, I think the Celtics will win. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's obviously a big, big add. There's obviously like Robert Williams having a big uh, playoff series here. The Celtics need him. I think they need to take the Band-Aid off. They have to take the training wheels off and let him go. If you look at his numbers... Minutes-wise, in those six games or seven games against Philly, 20 minutes, 22 minutes, 16 minutes, 14 minutes, 19 minutes, 28 minutes, 30 minutes. Just two games over 23 minutes or more. And they were in the last two games, game six and seven, because it was do or die. They need to take the training wheels off and let him go to work. You want to go to the NBA Finals, you need your best players playing. He's probably your best player in the paint defensively, even though Al Horford played great against Joel Embiid and held him to 3 of 16 from the floor in that game in game seven, or 3 of 18 from the floor, I think it was. Let me see. Al Horvath held him to 3 of 16 from the floor. Horvath played great defensively, but Robert Williams is that X-factor for the Celtics if he's on. I think Malcolm Brogdon's another big X-factor, but I think the Celtics need to take the training wheels off. Limited minutes for Robert Williams will not get it done. You need him to play 25 to 28 minutes a night at least. At least. I would say 30 to 32. Yeah, I don't know if he's ready for that big a jump lately. You said he... He, he might not be. You don't want to get him hurt. You don't want to get him hurt, but he did play... 30 minutes per game in the 2021-2022 season. But this year in 2022-2023, just 23.5 minutes per game. So 30 minutes per game to 24 minutes per game in those regular seasons. No, he, he, he's the rim protector that we need. Um, we, we have to protect the rebounds and cannot give them second chances because I saw it in the Philadelphia series. Anytime we missed getting a, you know, when Philly got an offensive rebound, it was just another another three point attempt for Harden or Tyrese Maxey or even P.J. Tucker hit three out of four in the first half uh, yeah Tucker played well you, you can't give up the rebounds and, and I think obviously Robert Williams um, is a significant rebounder so um, if, if he's healthy and he plays a lot of minutes I I, I think the Celts control the glass and, and I think that's their um, you know that's the way they're going to win this series so you have Celtics in six right yes okay so my prediction I haven't completely given it yet I'm still going to take another day or so to think about it. As of now, I'd be leaning, which, I don't know, it's tough to say. It is hard to say. Obviously, Miami is an underdog team here and have found a way to get to the NBA Finals, even though, like you said, they are one of the best teams in the East. They were the eighth seed. It's still a, a ways to go. They found a way to get here. I'd probably say Celtics in seven right now. But for some reason, I want to pick Miami. But as of now, 
I'll say Celtics in seven. Before the series starts tomorrow, I will give another take. But as of now, I'm leaning Celtics in seven. Well, that, that, that's probably the money pick in Vegas. Um, I, I I like to think about what Pat Riley said when he, I think when he took over the Heat as the president. He said, a playoff series doesn't start until the road team wins a game. So um, if the Celtics can hold court and win two, you know, the first two at home, I think the series won't go any more than six. But if it's a split, which in all likelihood it, it very well could be, then it is going to go at least six and probably seven. So um, holding court would be a big advantage for the Celtics in the first two games. I would agree with you there. So we'll see what happens. And now just one last thing. I know you got to go in just a second. What are your thoughts? You can just give numbers-wise. You don't have to break down analysis unless you want to. Obviously, I know you got to run. What do you think of the Nuggets and Lakers series? Who do you think wins that series, Denver or L.A.? I'm, I'm very surprised. I... That L.A. made it. I think Miami and L.A. were playing wins, weren't they? Yes, um, they're both they're both eights. Yeah, so uh, they, 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 and eight, uh, the Lakers were a seven, I'm pretty sure. But yes, Lakers were a seven, and the Miami Heat were an eight. I think Denver's the better team. They showed it all year. And they really uh, they took Phoenix apart. So I, I, I think Denver's a legitimate favorite. I would say Denver in six as well. Um, Me too. I, I, I never minded LeBron. I think it's a great story what he's doing at his age. Um, and Anthony Davis is a freak, uh, you know, one of the best athletes. Yeah, freak athlete he is. Job, you know, he controls the glass and he's, a, you know, he's a decent shooter inside. Um, but those role players. Um, Austin Reeves. Yeah, Austin Reeves and. Deja Russell, um, Dennis Schroeder, Rui Hachimura. Yeah, yeah, these guys have really stepped up and uh, I'm surprised they got this far. But, um, you know, they're, they're playing real well. But eventually, the cream will rise to the crop. But I think Denver will take them out in six. I agree with you. That's my pick. Denver in six. And as of now, I'm not 100% sure. I'm taking Denver in six. That's my prediction. Not 100% sure, though, on the Celtics series yet. I guess as of now, I'm leaning towards Celtics in seven. But no 100% sure on that. But I don't think Reeves, Reeves has been playing very well. Averaging this year in the playoffs, 15.4 points per game. I don't know if that's sustainable. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep that up. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, uh, a forty percent you know, shooting from three. Yeah, I mean, when guys get hot, you you know, you never know when it's going to you know fall off the table, and, and they're going to go cold. I mean, PJ Tucker is one example. I mean, you know, he wasn't going to keep hitting threes. I mean, he he had three out of four in the first half, and I don't think he hit any in the second half. But he's not that type of shooter. Look at Kyle Korver. And Reeves, yeah, he's he impressed me, um, and he could be dangerous if he you know if he gets hot. Yeah, he played well. I just don't know if that's sustainable. But we'll obviously see. He gets the minutes, starts every game, 35 minutes per game in the playoffs. So he's playing third most minutes for the Lakers. And obviously he's been a primary option, taking more shots per game than anybody uh, that is not named LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and D'Angelo Russell. So obviously he's in number three or four option. Probably the three right now. I've been impressed, as I said. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind if the Lakers took him out. And a Celtic Laker final would be ideal and a throwback to the – you know, to, to the 80s. old days with Kobe, God rest his soul, and all the way back to Magic and Larry. Absolutely. I think that's what the NBA wants. I think they want it to be Celtics-Lakers. What a, what a TV matchup. Yes, that would be great. But we'll see. But anyways, Pondo, you got to run. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll be back on one more night this week. Probably going to be Thursday night. Hopefully going to do a longer episode then, maybe a 7 to 9 o'clock. Uh, so I'll let you know, and hopefully you can come back on then for one, one more run. Sounds good, Joe. We've enjoyed the show. Every time you've been on, we haven't missed the show. So uh, keep up the good work. Absolutely. Much appreciated, Paul. Have a great rest of your night. Thank you for always coming on. Thank you.
Joe. Take care. Right, take bye it bye. easy. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So there you go. There was Paul from Southie. What a pleasure having him come on. It's always great having him come on and talk sports. So there was his takes on the Celtics and the Red Sox and obviously the Lakers and Nuggets series. Uh, so I'll just give a little bit more analysis into both of those series and then probably call it a day. We'll see where we're at then. But as of now, I'm leaning towards Celtics in seven and I'm leaning towards Denver in six. I think I'm finalized on Denver in six. I think Denver wins that series in six games. I am not 100% sure right now on that uh, Celtics Heat series, but I would say I'm probably leaning towards the Celtics in seven games. I want to say Miami in seven, though. I want to say Miami in seven. I don't know why. It's not meaning I'm rooting against the Celtics. I know a lot of people listening in here are Celtics fans. My mom, the biggest Celtics fan I know. So I'm not trying to upset her with this pick. It's just the Celtics have found ways to go cold. And the Miami Heat love to take advantages. Or take advantage. And they've taken advantage of all the advantages they've had. When they see a team like the Milwaukee Bucks when they were hurt. Or the New York Knicks when they were banged up. They also saw some flaws in that team. They found ways to beat them in the paint with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler going off. I'm not saying the Celtics have those holes. But the Heat have found ways to win games. And you can't really screw around against a team like that. Even if they're an eight seed. They're not just any eight seed. I know Jimmy Butler just joked around and said what separates us from being an eight seed now versus any other eight seed in the NBA and NBA history is we have Kyle Lowry. Well, Kyle Lowry's not going to be the reason they win this series if they were to win. Kyle Lowry's not the reason they got to where they are right now. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, two big reasons why they are at where they're at right now. For some reason, I want to say Heat and seven just because of the dog mentality they play with. But at the end of the day, I'm going to lean towards Celtics and seven right now. It could change by tomorrow. Before that first game, I'm going to record another episode probably. As of now, I'm leaning towards Celtics and seven. And if you look at my last few takes, I had the Lakers winning that series over the Warriors in seven games. It's Lakers in six. I had Denver in six games over Phoenix. It was Denver in six. I believe I had the Celtics over the Sixes in six or seven games, depending on if Embiid was healthy. Celtics win that series in seven games. Uh, not 100% sure if I went with six or seven there, but I had the Celtics winning, whether it was in six or seven. And then in that other series, I had the Heat beating the Knicks in six games. So I drilled all four series winners, drilled the outcome of them in two of the series, maybe even three of the series. I know I missed on the Lakers series. I had the Lakers in seven I'm not 100% sure about the Celtics Sixers series. So it could be three out of four series that I drilled the correct correct score, you know, games-wise. My Uncle Frankie just texted me. He said, Butler can't beat the Celts alone. Neither could Harden, nor could Embiid. You're right. Butler probably can't beat the Celtics on their own. On his own. But the difference is, if the Celtics find ways to beat themselves like they did last year in the NBA Finals, with turnovers, with missed free throws, with scoring droughts from Jason Tatum, with poor performances off the bench. Derek White, Al Horford, the Celtics role players have to step up. They have to step up. Butler maybe can't beat you on his own. But if you're beating yourself, whether it's injuries-wise, like the Bucks are beating themselves with injuries, or you're the Knicks going ice cold shooting-wise and Julius Randle isn't the player in the playoffs that he is in the regular season typically. If you're beating yourself and Jimmy Butler's playing to the level he can play at, anything goes. Anything goes. So that, that's why I think this series is going to go seven games. I think the Celtics have found ways to lose games in the past and keep it close. 
with teams like the Philadelphia 76ers, that went seven games, probably should have gone only six. The Hawks series probably should have gone four, maybe five games. That went six games because the Celtics screwed around a little. So you can't really screw around against this Miami team. So we'll see what happens. And Michael points out Tatum is a new legend. Brogdon played, is, is fearless, and Robert Williams is healthy. I agree. All three of those you need. You need Tatum to play like he did in Game 7. I don't think he's going to have another 51-point performance. Maybe he'll have one more, but he's not going to go off for 50 every single night. And Brogdon has been a great piece. Obviously, a great trade from Indiana to Boston. Has been a very valuable piece for the Celts team, and is a big reason where they're at. And Robert Williams, I think he's the X-factor X factor for the Celtics. But you need to take the training wheels off and let him play. You have to let him play. And Jalen Brown, I'd agree with you. Jalen Brown's played great. And even though in some of those crunch time moments, Brown is very passive, overall, if you look at the talent between the Celtics and the Heat, Brown and Tatum are better than Embiid, not Embiid, or Embiid and Harden. They're better than both those guys, obviously. Uh, Embiid's great, probably the best player in that entire series. He was the MVP of the league this year, but Harden being the number two option, whether it's Maxi or Harden, Jalen Brown's probably better than both those guys, right? You look at this Heat team, I still take Jimmy Butler over Tatum and Brown in the playoffs. I think Jimmy Butler's a different breed when he gets to the playoffs. But I'd say Brown's probably a better player than Van Adebayo. So I'd say the Celtics have a better one-two punch there. But the Heat are a very dangerous team. Three of the last four Eastern Conference Finals have come down to these two squads. The Heat won in 2020 in the bubble, loses to the Lakers in the finals that year. And the Celtics won the Eastern Conference Finals in 2022 in seven games. But the Heat are a different team now than they were in those years past. Kyle Lowry's not the player he once was. He's getting limited minutes now, not the score he once was either. Tyler Hero's out until the NBA Finals with a broken hand. I think there's a chance he comes back in Game 6 or Game 7. There were no reports about that. It's just a hot take in my eyes. I think there's a chance he comes back. So it's all on Jimmy Butler. And Bam Adebayo played very well in that Knicks series, which I predicted. I said he was going to be a handful for the Knicks in the paint. He ended up, coming, he ended up playing big. Ended up coming up big and making plays in big moments. Averaging 19 points per game, 10 rebounds, on 53% shooting from the floor. But you look at what he did against the Celtics last year. He was off and on against the Celtics every single game in that game seven, or in that seven-game series last year. He was either going off at 25 or he was having an 8 to 10-point night in that series against the Celtics last year. He was off and on every other night against the Celtics last year in the East Conference Finals. So if the Heat want to win, they need him to do what he did against the Knicks. They need 50 to 18 points per game. Because you don't have Tyler Hero scoring and shooting the ball like you did last year. So it's on Jimmy Butler first, it's on Bam Adebayo second, and then it's on the role players. Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin. It's on those three guys to step up the secondary scoring without Tyler Hero out there. And if you look at Jimmy Butler in the playoffs this year, he's been ridiculous. 31 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 5.4 assists. 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks, of 36% shooting from three. He's not the best shooter, but could definitely hit a few threes here and there. And he's shooting 53% from the floor overall in the playoffs. He is a different animal in the playoffs every single year. He's the best player in the league every single time that the playoffs roll around. Every time the, play the playoffs come, Jimmy Butler is the best player in the NBA. I don't know if it's because he gives you 45 minutes of action every night. I don't know if it's because he plays as hot a defense as harder defense than anybody in the NBA in the playoffs. He's just a motor that doesn't quit. I don't know what to put it on. 
You can talk about his scoring. You can talk about his playmaking. You can talk about his defense. You can talk about his hunt. You can't really pinpoint one thing about Jimmy Butler when he plays in the playoffs. He gives you everything he's got. And that's why I think it's going to be a handful for the Celtics team. I said before the playoffs began, I said when the playing tournament was happening, I said Jimmy Butler would be my first overall pick in the NBA playoffs every single year. And I said, I know that's a hot take. And I remember my exact take. I said, I know a lot of people are going to look at the stats and everyone's going to say Giannis and Jason Tatum and Steph Curry and LeBron James, which I get it. But I went with Jimmy Butler because of what he gives you on a nightly basis. You know what? You're getting every single thing he has in his body and more. He's my exact type of player that I'm a fan of. The exact type of player that I love and I love to watch. So that's why I think Jimmy is going to give it his all this series. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat are up 1-0 or 2-1 in the series after game one or game three. I think even if the Celtics win the series in seven games, I think the Heat are going to have a lead in this series. Whether it's 1-0 or 2-1. I think the Heat are going to steal a game in Boston. Whether it's game one or game two, I think Miami will steal a, steal a game in Boston. But the Celtics, when their backs have been against, have been against the wall, they have found ways to win. Game six against Philly, losing in the fourth quarter, found a way to come back and win. Game seven, get a chance back in Boston to send yourself to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they did just that. So we'll see what happens. And if you look at Miami, I think they have the best coach in the NBA. You look at the best coaches in, 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 in the NBA, I think it goes Spolstra, Ty Lue, Steve Kerr, and then there's a handful of other coaches as well. And there's a lot of great coaches that were, that were fired, which I'm going to talk about them really quick for just one minute. Doc Rivers, Monty Williams, Mike Budenholzer, and Nick Nurse. All four of them have been fired, with Doc Rivers being fired today. Doc Rivers, obviously Game 7 didn't go his way. He hasn't really been successful in any Game 7 in his career. Has a 6-10 and 10 record in Game 7s in his career. That's the most Game 7 losses of any NBA coach in NBA history. And he's never won a Game 7 game on the road. He's lost his last five Game 7s in 2015, 2017, 2020, 2021, and 2023. And in those five games, the last five Game 7s he lost, the average margin he lost by was 14.4 points between his time with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Philadelphia 76ers. So things haven't gone his way. But this past year, he had a 54-28 record as a Sixers head coach. Monty Williams was fired as a Phoenix Suns head coach, 45-37 record this past year. Mike Boonehoser, the number one seed in the East, had a 58-24 record this past year for the Bucks. was fired. Nick Nurse, 500 record this past year for the Toronto Raptors, won an NBA Finals, as did Mike Boonehoser, won an NBA Finals with the Bucks. Doc Rivers has won an NBA Finals, but this is with the Celtics. But I'm saying with their current teams this past season, Boonehoser won an NBA Finals for the Milwaukee Bucks. Nick Nurse won an NBA Finals for the Toronto Raptors. And what happened to both those guys? They're both gone. They're both gone. And if you look at the most wins since the 2020-2021 NBA season, so since 2020, the start of that season, the Phoenix Suns, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Philadelphia 76ers, all three of those teams have the most wins in the NBA. All in order, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. The most wins in the NBA since 2020-2021. And all three of those head coaches have been fired. And if you look at it, 
Nick Nurse, I mean, it's a young squad. I think they had higher expectations for that team than they should have. He gets fired. I don't know if really if it was his fault, but at the end of the day, management, ownership wanted to go in a different direction. Doc Rivers, he has found ways to lose. He has found ways to lose. I wouldn't blame him for this particular Game 7, though. I actually felt bad for him to a degree. You can't expect Joel Embiid and James Harden to have that game they had. You can't. Maybe in his, with his tenure in Philly, you can blame him for that. But that Game 7, I don't blame him for. Monty Williams. Got to the NBA Finals in 2021, losing to the Bucks, And obviously a very good mind, very great basketball head coach. He gets fired. And I wouldn't blame Monty Williams for that either. You can't blame Monty Williams when Chris Paul goes down with an injury. DeAndre Ayton is not putting up the stats he should be on offense. Very passive and loves taking mid-range jump shots rather than staying as an anchor in the paint. He loves taking shots around the elbow. He should be more in the paint and be right at the block. And you can't blame him when you have Booker and Durant as your only options really to score. You have Chris Paul, even when he's on the court, he's not really a great offensive threat. And you have Aiden, who's not a great offensive threat either. And then you look at their bench, whether it's Torrey Craig or Josh Kogi Stanton, how can you rely on those two guys? So I don't really blame Monty Williams. I don't, I don't really blame him. There was no depth on that team. When you trade for a guy like Kevin Durant, you have to give up some good players and some future picks. What do you give up? Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, Bur- Brooklyn picks both those guys up. And what do you lose with that? You obviously add a superstar in Kevin Durant, but you also lose a very good player because it's a two-for-one. So you're losing depth along the way. And sometimes you're fine with that. If you win the NBA Finals, it all works out. What did Milwaukee do? They lost. What did Phoenix do? They lost. What did the Sixers do? They lost. If you don't win the NBA Finals, things can happen. It's a results business. That's a reality situation. It's a results business. So obviously it's tough to see Doc get fired. I like Doc Rivers. But the reality is, it's a results business and Philly hasn't gotten to where they want to. Same thing with Phoenix. They traded for Kevin Durant, didn't win the NBA Finals. I don't blame Monty Williams for that. As a Bruno I mean, it's just tough injuries. You can't really blame for Giannis Antetokounmpo going down. You're the best record in the NBA this past season. Which I believe they were first. It might have been actually, I think they were first. But regardless, you can't blame Budenholzer for that injury to Giannis Antetokounmpo. You can't. So the Bucks is passer at 58-24, which is best record in the NBA by one game. Better than the Celtics. 58-24 record. I don't blame him for that. I guess I don't blame any of the coaches, really. But I, I understand why Nurse was fired. I understand why Doc was fired. I guess I understand why Monty was fired, because they wanted to win the NBA Finals as they traded Kevin Durant. Budenholzer is questionable to me. And I'm sure all four guys will have an active market pursuing them. So we'll see what happens there. So, as with the Celtics, Heat, I did have the Heat winning that series in six games, I said. I got that right. I had the Lakers in seven, as I said, which the Lakers won that series in six. I had the Celtics in six or seven, and I had Denver winning in six over the Suns. So, in this series, Celtics, I have them winning in seven games as of right now. But the Celtics have to play smart basketball. I'm sure this series will be a dogfight. They need Tatum to not start holding games. You can't have Jason Tatum start 1-14 from the floor again. That can't happen. He cannot have cold starts like he did in two of the last three games. You can't do that. You cannot do that. The Celtics need Al Horford to be somewhat of an offensive threat. I'm not saying Al Horford's going to step in 
in terms of Kyle Korver from three. No, but you can't have him go 0 of 7 from three like he did, I believe, it was in game five. You can't have that. And let me get, make sure I get that right. Al Horford is 0 of 7 from three in game five, 0 of 2 from three in game six. His last three games, 0 points, 2 points, 6 points. You need Al Horford to be more of an offensive threat. I'm not saying to be Joel Embiid in the paint. You're not going to see that. He's not going to be Nikola Jokic in the paint. He's not going to be scoring 20, 25, 30 points a game. But you need to give you at least 10 a night probably. Just to feel comfortable to have him be an offensive threat. You need the t- other team to game plan for him. Spolster's a great coach. He finds ways to win. If he knows Al Horford isn't going to be scoring, and especially not hitting threes, he might even leave Horford open for a couple threes to try to gain or, or try to earn, have Al Horford earn the, the trust back in him. Earn his respect. That's what that's what Spolster might do. Horford's last three games, averaging 2.7 points per game, 8.7 rebounds, 1.7 blocks, shooting 14.3% from three, and 16.7% from the floor overall. He played very well defensively. So I give him a hand, getting nine rebounds per game and averaging two blocks per game. Very impressive in his last three games. He made a very hot at Joel Embiid in Game 7. As the primary defender against Joel Embiid in Game 7, held him to 3 of 16 shooting from the floor. Very impressive. But you need him to step up. Another guy you need to step up, Derek White. Derek White needs to return to the form that he had in the regular season. In the regular season, averaged just about 12 points per game. Against the Hawks in the first round of playoffs this year, averaged 17 points per game, 1.3 blocks, and shot 56% from the floor and 46% from three. But what did he do in his last three games against Philly? 6.3 points per game and 37.5% shooting from the floor. You can't have that. Horvitz's last three games against Philly, three points per game, off 14% shooting from three and 16% shooting from the floor. Derek White in those same three games, six points per game and 37.5% shooting from the floor. You cannot have that. You can't have that. You need those two guys to be more of a threat offensively. It can't be all on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Yes, those are your two-step plays. You expect them to make big moments, have big moments and make big plays. I get that. But you can't be relying on those guys. You can't be. You cannot be relying on those two guys every single play. Which I get it. You can rely on them in big moments. But you're not going to expect them to take 100 out of 100 shots that the Celtics take in a game. There's going to be shots for Al Horford. There's going to be shots for Derek White. There's going to be shots for Malcolm Brogdon. Those guys are going to get their hands on the ball. And you need them to step up more. You need them to. And if you look at last year, Al Horford and I believe it was Derek White and Grant Williams all struggled at the same time in the NBA Finals. All struggled at the same time. And if you look at it, the Celtics need those guys to be more consistent at the same time. You can't have Horford and Derek White struggling at the same time. You can't. You just can't. If you look at it, which uh, now I'm looking at my old notes here from last year in the NBA Finals. The Celtics' two biggest role plays in the NBA Finals last year, which these are my notes after Game 7 losing to the Warriors last year in the NBA Finals. Derek White shot 32% from the floor in the NBA Finals. In the last two games, was 1 of 10 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3, 5 rebounds, 1 assist, and 0 steals in the last two games. 33% overall from the floor in the NBA Finals. And then his last two games last year in the NBA Finals, 1 of 10 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3, with 5 rebounds, 1 assist, and 0 steals in the last two games. Grant Williams, 4.2 points per game in the NBA Finals. 
when he averaged 9.8 points per game against Milwaukee last year and Miami. Including two games of 20 points or more off the bench. He's not going to get the minutes he wants, Scott. He's not really a big factor for the Celtics right now. But point being, the point I'm making here is, right now, two of the biggest role players on the Celtics, besides Malcolm Brogdon, it's probably Robert Williams, Al Horford, and Derek White. And you can't have Derek White and Al Horford have cold games at the same time. You can't. Because look what happened last in the NBA Finals. Derek White and Grant Williams, your two biggest role players last year in the NBA Finals, were cold at the same time. Grant Williams, the last three games in the NBA Finals last year, averaged three points per game, off 50% shooting floor and just 1.7 rebounds per game, zero steals, and one block per game. He had nine points and five rebounds in the last three games of the NBA Finals last year combined. You can't have that. You can't have that. You need those guys to be better at the same time. So, we'll see what happens. Horvid did have a little bit of struggle last year in the NBA Finals, but in Game 6, had 19 points off 6-8 shooting from the floor and 14 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 assists, and a block, and 4-5 shooting from 3. The Celtics need that, which I'm not saying you need 19 points from. But you need efficiency. You need that 6-8 shooting for like 12 points. That would be great. That's an ideal night. 10 rebounds, a couple steals, a couple blocks. You take that any night. couple threes. You need that. I'm not asking Al Horvath to have 20 points per game. But the Celtics need 10 a night from him. They need 10 a night from Derek White as well. You need those guys to step up. You need them to. And another thing you need is Joe Mazzulla to be better in late-game scenarios. He has to call timeouts to make a play in crunch team. With a minute to go and it's a tie game, or 15 seconds to go and the Celtics have the ball and there's no shot clock, it's a tie game, you need to call timeout and, and, and create a play. Draft up a play. Draw it up. There's no excuses. He has to learn from those mistakes in this past series with Philly. Now calling timeouts in big moments in games, I believe it was games three and four. Those are big reasons the Celtics lost those two games. Huge reasons. I believe it was games three and four. Let me see if I get that right here. Give me one second here. It was games four and five. I apologize. Games four and five, Missoula had chances to call timeouts late and didn't do so. Game five, the Celtics lost anyways by uh, 12 points. It wasn't really a close game. So what I'm thinking really is probably game four. That overtime loss, it definitely was. The Celtics had a chance at the end of regulation to call a timeout and draw up a play. We didn't do it. They had a chance and in overtime with just the ball left, with, you know, with the ball in their possession and just seconds remaining on the clock, and they didn't do so. They didn't draw up a play. The Celtics let it run out, and Joe Mazzulla said, hey, go make a play to Jason Tatum and Jamie Brown, and they didn't do so. Instead, they give the ball to Marcus Smart take two of the biggest shots of the game. So, Missoula needs to be better in game in late-game scenarios because most of these games will go down to the wire. If you look at what happened last year, this series came down to a Game 7 three-point attempt from Jimmy Butler. And it probably, if it went in, probably could have been for the win. So I think it goes 7, and as of now, I'm leaning towards the Celtics. But as I said, I think Miami will have a lead, whether it's 1-0 or 2-1. I think they're going to win a game in Boston. And another thing the Celtics have to do better, they need... Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to step up in the big moments. You can't defer to Al Horford and Marcus Smart, who they do most of the time. They defer to Marcus Smart most of the time. You can't have that. You cannot have that. As for Miami, their biggest needs, probably need to let Jimmy Butler do his thing. They need 30 a game from Jimmy Butler if they want to have a chance in the series. And they need Bam Adebayo to be a force in the paint like he was 
against the Knicks. And like Paul, the encyclopedia said, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, streaky players, streaky shooters, they probably need two of those three guys to be on in the same night. And Duncan Robinson, who started to get some minutes since Tyler Hero's injury, he got 22 and 14 minutes in the last two games against the Knicks, 17 points on 5 of 10 shooting from three in game five, and then in game six, six points off two of seven shooting from three. They probably need him to hit two or three threes in a game to have a chance, to have extra scoring on Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler can't do it all. Like my uncle said, the sports aficionado, you can't expect Jimmy Butler to beat the Celtics on his own. You can't. Unless the Celtics can beat themselves on their own and make it easier for Jimmy Butler by turning the ball over or, you know, going cold from the floor, it'll be tougher for the Heat to win this series if the Celtics limit turnovers, they don't they limit their cold streaks, and they force Jimmy Butler to be that that which Jimmy Butler is that guy. They force Jimmy Butler to not be their only option. Meaning, the Celtics let Duncan Robinson. They let Max Struess. They let Gabe Vincent. They let Caleb Martin beat them. They don't let just Jimmy Butler be the primary option on offense. So you let Jimmy Butler get his. You contain him to your best of your ability. And you see what the rest of those guys around Jimmy Butler can do. That's probably Miami's game plan. Or that's Boston's game plan about Miami. Miami's game plan is try to force turnovers. Make it as hard on Jason Tatum as possible and hope Al Horford, Derek White, stay cold. So we'll see what happens. That's my thoughts on the Celtics Heat series. And I'll give my thoughts on the Lakers Nuggets series before closing this episode. So as I said, I nailed the Nuggets in six prediction over Phoenix in the Eastern or West Conference semifinals. In my episode from April 30th of 2023, my podcast episode, I said I do not think Josh Okoge and Torrey Craig can be relied upon. Like they did against the Clippers. The Suns relied on those guys to hit some big shots and some big moments. Torrey Craig was more of an issue, but Okogi did hit some big shots and some big moments. Just give me one second here. I'm going to pull up my notes. I apologize for that, but Craig against the Clippers averaged 12.4 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, a steal per game, a 56% shooting from three, and a ridiculous 65% shooting from the floor, including three games of 27 or 22 points, 17 points, and 15 points in games one through three. But in the six games against Denver, he lost minutes, no longer started, and averaged only 1.5 points per game, a 14.3% shooting from three, and 36.4% shooting from four. So he went from 12.5 points per game, a 56% shooting from three, and 65% shooting from the floor against Clippers, down to 1.5 points per game, 14.3% shooting from three, and 36% shooting from the floor. So 12.4 points to 1.5, 56% shooting from three to 14% shooting from three, and 65% shooting from the floor to 36% shooting from the floor. So went down heavily. Same thing with Kogi. Six points per game against the Clippers, averaging 3.2 rebounds, 1.4 assists, one steal, off 43% shooting from three, or 43% shooting from the floor, and 29% shooting from three. And against the Nuggets in five starts, 2.2 points per game, so it went down from 6 to 2. Off of over 6 shooting from 3, and 31% shooting from the floor. So down from 43% against the Clippers, down to 31 against the Nuggets. So I knew the Suns' role players weren't going to step up, and I knew they weren't going to have the repeatable success that they had against the Clippers. 
They had repeated success against the Clippers. I knew they weren't. Th- I knew they weren't going to repeat that against Denver. Denver is a tough team. They are a tough team. And you look at Denver's role players. Obviously, Nikola Jokic, star, superstar player in the NBA, just about an MVP candidate. Every single year he's going to play in the NBA. He's probably going to be an MVP candidate for the next three to four years. And has already won a couple MVPs. I, I believe he's won two MVPs. Let me make sure I get that right. Yes, two-time MVP. He's going to be a perennial all-star and a perennial MVP candidate for the next four or five years in the, in the NBA. He's only 28 years old, so maybe the next five to seven years. And what he's done in the playoffs this year, averaging 30 points per game, 30.7 points per game, off 54.9% shooting from the floor. And what is he shooting from three here? 47.5% from three, averaging 1.7 threes per, made per game, off 3.6 attempts per game. Also averaging 12.8 rebounds and 9.7 assists to go along with uh, give me one second here. 1.1 steals and 9.7 assists, like I said. 55% from the floor, 48% from three. And those threes, as I said, 1.7 makes per game. He's Even though it's limited attempts, he's starting to shoot more threes. So, obviously, you know Nikola Jokic is going to be coming up big in big moments. What the Nuggets need is probably Jamal Murray, which he averaged 20.7 field goal attempts per game against the Nuggets or overall in the playoffs. Averaging 26 points per game of 92% shooting from the free throw line, 39.5% shooting from three, so 40% shooting from three overall, 46% shooting from the floor, also averaging 5.2 rebounds, 6.5 assists, and 1.3 steals. Murray and Jokic, you know what you're going to get out of those guys. And Murray had some cold games, and the Nuggets still found ways to win against the Suns even when he was cold. But what the Nuggets need is Aaron Gordon, Catavis Caldwell-Pope, and Michael Porter Jr., the three biggest role players to step up at big moments. And MPJ's probably a young star, and he's getting there. He's had a lot of injuries, but in the playoffs, averaging 14.5 points per game, 47% shooting from the floor, and adding in 40% shooting from three. They need him to be a little bit hotter from three. 40% from three is great. 2.53 threes per game is great. Don't get me wrong. But he's had, he's had some cold stretches in the playoffs. Contavious Caldwell Pope, I think, is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Averaging 89% shooting from the free throw line in the playoffs, 10.5 points per game. Also adding in, uh, give me one second, at 39% shooting from three, 47% shooting from the floor overall, so 48% from the floor, 39% from three, and 10.5 points. Also adding in 3.3 rebounds, 1.6 assists, and 1.4 steals, and a half a block per game. I think he's one of the most underrated role players in the NBA. Aaron Gordon is my X factor for this Nuggets team. Averaging 13.1 points per game, adding in 6.1 rebounds, adding in 38.5% shooting from three in the playoffs and 47.3% shooting from the four overall in the playoffs. He's my biggest X factor with MPJ. Aaron Gordon and MPJ have to help out with the secondary scoring. You know what you're going to get out of Jokic. You know what you're going to get out of Murray. Gordon and MPJ have to be better. In that Heat series, I said Adebayo has to step up against the Knicks. What did he do? He stepped up. For the series against the Suns, against the Nuggets, I said Okogie and uh, it was Okogie and Craig aren't going to do what they did against the Clippers. That was one of my biggest hot takes or my biggest needs 
for the Suns. The Suns needed those guys to step up and do what they did against the Clippers. They didn't do so, and they lose. My biggest needs here for Denver, they need Aaron Gordon and MPJ to step up. And I'm not saying I'm always right there. I know I have a lot of takes that are wrong. Don't get me wrong. You're going to have a lot of takes. That's what sports are about. Being on the radio, you're going to have to have a take on most things, and you're going to be wrong. That's just part of the game. In life in general, we're wrong a lot of the time. That's just what happens. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have hot takes that don't go your way. But I think KCP and I think KCP is going to give you the 10 and a half a game. I don't think that's going to be a big ask. But I think Aaron Gordon and MPJ have to step up. Those are my X factors for the Nuggets. As for the Lakers, they have the second best record in the NBA in the regular season. After the All-Star break, they were 16-7 and seven after the All-Star break in the regular season. The second best record in the NBA. They have a good team with some good depth. Austin Reeves, Dennis Schroeder, who is starting tonight for in Game 1 against the Nuggets. Dennis Schroeder will be getting the start. He's been good. Austin Reeves, Dennis Schroeder, Rui Hachimura have been great. So it isn't just AD, LeBron, and D'Lo. They have some good depth around them too. So obviously that Russell Westbrook trade, it worked out not only for Russell Westbrook... It worked out for the Lakers. It worked out both ways. People look at it as, oh, the Lakers are better off now. Well, Russell Westbrook is better off as well in L.A. with the Clippers. It worked out both ways. The Lakers are 16-7 in the regular season after the All-Star break, and they find themselves in the Western Conference Finals. Same matchup in the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals as it was in the bubble in 2020. It was Nuggets-Lakers in 2020. The Lakers beat the Nuggets. It was Heat-Celtics in 2020. The Heat beat the Celtics and then lost in the NBA Finals to the Lakers. So, it's a repeat of that series. And even what the Lakers have done in the playoffs, LeBron, somehow in year 20, has found ways to still play at a high level. Which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. LeBron James has found ways to win games and put up unreal numbers in his year, I think he's 36 now, 38, 38 years old. He turned 38, you know, during this past season. 38 years old in year 20. And in the playoffs, he's averaging 23 points per game off a of 49% shooting from the floor, 26.3% shooting from three. He's been ice cold from three. He's taking 6.7 three-point attempts per game, making just 1.8 of those, 26% from three overall in the playoffs. That's one thing. If the Lakers want to win this series, they need LeBron to shoot better. If he's going to take 6.7 threes per game, he needs to shoot better. He needs to shoot better from three. Probably around 35 to 38% from three if the Lakers want to win this series. He's also averaging 10 rebounds per game in the playoffs, 5.3 assists, 0.9 steals, and 1.3 blocks. So he's been, he's been good. Obviously not shooting great. 49% from four is pretty good for him, but 26% from three isn't great. You need him to be better from three. AD who have criticized for playing soft at times. I think AD has the potential and the ability to be still a top five to seven player in the NBA. Does he play like that every night? No. He plays soft, soft some nights where he doesn't want to get physical. They need AD to make plays and be physical. They need it. Which, I'm going to give you a quick update in the Red Sox game. Just got a text from my mom. The Sox are 4 nothing in the first inning. Uh, it was a... Yoshida triple that scored the first run of the game, scoring Alex Verdugo. And then Justin Turner had a home run, uh, a two-run home run, scoring Yoshida to make a 3-0 game. And then Tristan Casas followed that up with another home run. It is 4-0 uh, Red Sox in the bottom of the first inning. Nick Pavetta on the mound for the Sox tonight, getting out of that first inning. I believe it was a 1-2-3 inning for the Sox. So it was impressive. 
Impressive start to the game there for the Sox. Happy to see it. Four to nothing uh, in the first inning. Very impressive. So now it's bottom of the first, four nothing, and it was one, two, three, four preventer in the first inning. Picking up two Ks in the first. Very impressive. All right, now I'm going to get back to the Lakers talk here. So AD in the playoffs, averaging 21 points per game, 14.1 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.4 steals in 3.3 blocks. He's been unreal defensively. I cannot criticize him defensively. He's been great defensively. 1.4 steals per game, 3.3 blocks, and 14 rebounds per game, averaging 11.7 defensive rebounds per game. He's been great defensively. Don't get me wrong. But it's the offense that I worry about with AD. He's only averaging 21 points per game on offense. You need him to score more. He's shooting 27% from three in limited attempts and shooting 53% from the floor. You need AD to be better offensively. LeBron, you need him to shoot better from three. Because he's going to take seven threes per game, you need him to shoot better from three. You need him to shoot around 35 to 38%. Anthony Davis needs to score more than 21 points per game if the Lakers want to win this series. He has to be around 25 to 27 points per game. Even then, it's still hard to beat this Nuggets team with all their depth. They need Anthony Davis to step up and average more than 21 points per game. That can't happen. He needs to be better. As for Reeves, he's been great. Averaging 15.4 points per game in the playoffs. Shooting 43% from the floor and 39.7% from three. So 40% from three. Also adding in five rebounds, four assists, and 0.7 steals per game. He's been good. Do I think he's going to keep that up, though? I don't know if he's going to average 15 points per game in this series. I think he's going to be under that around 12. DeAndre Russell, averaging 15 points per game in the playoffs. Shooting 44.5% from the floor, 34.7% from three. And it's starting to lose a little bit of, of the shot attempts that he's gotten in the regular season. He's starting to lose a little bit of that to uh, Austin Reeves and Dennis Schroeder. But Dennis Schroeder is going to be picking up his second start in the playoffs tonight. Uh, but Russell, I think he has to make more plays. If the Lakers want to win this series, he probably has to stay around 15 points per game. Same thing with Dennis Schroeder. He's probably going to get more minutes in this series. And I think he's going to have to come up big. Dennis Schroeder is probably my favorite player on this Lakers team besides LeBron James. I love Dennis Schroeder. I'm a big, I'm a big D show guy. He's averaging 7.5 points per game in the playoffs. 85% from the free throw line. Shooting 30.8% from three and 41% from the floor overall. He probably has to be around 45% from the floor. 35% from three. AD probably has to average around 25 points per game. And LeBron has to be around 35% from three if this Lakers team wants to win this series. So, those are my critiques. The game plan for both of these teams. I think the Nuggets are the better team overall. I'm going to go Nuggets in six. I think Aaron Gordon is going to be the X-Factor in this series for the Denver Nuggets. As for the Lakers, I think their X-Factor probably... It's not even an X-Factor since Anthony Davis is already a great player. The X-Factor probably probably has to be, I think Anthony Davis has to average 25 points per game. I think he has to average at minimum. At a minimum. Jared Vanderbilt's been great defensively. Lost some minutes in that last game against the Warriors in Game 6. But averaging 5.3 points per game. But what is most impressive about him is his defense. Averaging a block per game, point eight steals per game in the playoffs. If he's going to be in there, that's probably an X-Factor defensively for the Lakers. He might lose minutes, though. We'll see what happens. Could be a good potential matchup against Michael Porter Jr. We'll see. Denver needs KCP and PJ to step up. The Lakers need LeBron to shoot better from three. 
even if it's 5 to 8% better. They need AD to average 4 or 5 points per game more. And they need Austin Reeves to stay around that 15 points per game, just like they would need that from uh, D'Angelo uh, Russell as well. Which I don't think... I don't think Reeves is going to average 15 points per game in the series, but we'll see what happens. So, this is my take. As of now, Celtics in seven, and then locked in is Nuggets in six. We'll see what happens. Tonight is game one in that series. It will be tonight at 8.30 on ESPN. The Nuggets will be hosting, uh, and they are a six-point favorite in this game. We'll see what happens. The Lakers are playing a lot better basketball, averaging 117 uh, overall per game, uh, points per game overall this season, which is sixth best in the NBA. The Nuggets averaging only 115 uh, in points per game this past season, which is 12th in the NBA, but they do a lot of things both ways, uh, offensively and defensively, that I like. Have a lot of guys they can throw at you as well. They have good depth. The Lakers have better depth as well. Don't get me wrong. As I said, Reeves, Hachimura, Schroeder, Russell's even part of that that defense, is, uh, you know, that uh, second core as well. I think it's AD and LeBron, and then everybody else just below them. We'll see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if LeBron goes turbo, turbo mode and takes over. But I think the Nuggets are the better team. I'd root for the Lakers for LeBron's sake. I love LeBron. I'd love to see him get another ring. But I think the Nuggets are the better team. I think they win this, this series in six games. And then the other series, I have Celtics in seven. But I will probably record another episode before then. So this will conclude the episode. Thank you guys so much for taking time to listen to this. I will hopefully will be on, whether it's tomorrow night. I'm still figuring out what I'm doing tomorrow night. I'm thinking as of now it'll be Thursday night. I'll let you guys know. I have commencement ball Friday. I have the Dance of the Decades dance tonight. Uh, luckily, my mom came up with a plan today. I was going to get a haircut at Supercuts here at Cleveland Circle. And I was on the phone with her on the way down. I, was like, I said, Mom, I don't know what I can wear tonight. Don't really have anything planned. I wasn't going to go to the store and buy things. And my mom said, why don't you go with the James Dean look? Do you have a white shirt? I have a nice white shirt that my brother Michael got me for Christmas. I said, I do have that. Also, I had some nice jeans as well. I have a watch. I have a belt. I have a new haircut that's similar to James Dean. And I also have sunglasses as well. My mom said, go with the James Dean look. And that's what I'm going with tonight for the Dance Through the Decades. Uh, so I'm going with the 50s James Dean look there. So we'll see how the Dance Through the Decades uh, dance goes tonight. It'll be fun. Obviously, it's senior week. So just another six days left here at BC. Hopefully, I'll take advantage of one more uh, weeknight episode. Hopefully, Thursday night, as I said, I'll be on here at 7. I want to make that probably my best episode I've ever had. I want to have a lot of people come on for 10 to 15-minute periods. Let's talk a lot of sports. I'll keep you guys posted. Uh, but I appreciate you guys listening in always. This won't be my last episode. I wanted guests to come on tonight since I thought it'd be my last episode. But I said, I don't want guests to come on and have it be a rushed episode since it's not a 7 to 8.30 like it usually is. It's hard to get guests at 6 o'clock. So I, I didn't really want to rush people and, and have people come on short notice. So I figured I'll do one more episode and have one more final finale episode to, to close my career here at BC as a student. Hopefully I'll come back and have chances to do this live on air. We'll see what happens. I'll keep the podcast on Spotify, but there's nothing like doing it live on air. And hopefully I'll figure something out. I'll turn it over the summer. Maybe I'll do it on YouTube live or Instagram live. We'll see what happens. But thank you guys so much for always listening in. Every episode along the way, it was a pleasure and I appreciate you guys always listening in. I, I don't really have this platform with, without the audience. That's a reality. I do not have this platform without the audience that you guys give. So thank you guys, always. And even though this is one of my last ones live on air, I'll still keep the podcast going, and I would love to have more guests come on over the summer on the podcast as well. I'm not really too sure what the future holds for me as well. Whether I go to grad school or I find a job at sports right away, still applying to figure things out, I'm not too sure what I'm going to do. 
But what I do know is this podcast will stay. Uh, and another thing I know is how appreciative and thankful I am. I have so much gratitude towards all you guys and for everyone that listened in always. Whether you listen to one episode or all 150 episodes I've had since starting this podcast just about a year ago from now. I started, I think my first episode is May 24th and I'm around 150 episodes. No matter how much you guys listened in, how much or how little, it's appreciated. So thank you guys always for listening in. I'll have one more live episode hopefully Thursday night. I'll let you guys know the timing of that. It could be a 7 to 9. could be a 6.30 to 8.30. We'll see. Uh, but I will keep you guys posted on that. Thank you guys so much for listening in. And now I'm going to give a few quick shout-outs to close the episode, as I always do. I'll start off with Tim Loftus, the biggest fan of the show. Tim, much appreciated that you always listen in. Shout-out to you. Shout-out to the Loftus family. Shout-out to the Keith family. Thank you for always listening in, Mary and Brian. It does mean a ton to me. Thank you for always listening. As I said, I don't have this platform without you guys. Shout out to the O'Malley family. Thank you for always listening in. Maureen, another big fan of the show. Thank you for always listening in consistently. I know if there's two people listening in or three people listening in always, I count on it being Tim Loftus, Maureen, and my mother. Thank you guys always for listening in. It does mean the world to me, and I appreciate it. Thank you to my Uncle Frankie as well. Always giving his takes over text, whether or not he's live on air. He's always participating, giving me his thoughts, just like Tim Loftus is. Thank you so much for always coming on. Hopefully, I'll have you on one more time before this uh, you know, season ends. I, I said season. It's not really a season, I guess. Before the semester ends completely, before senior week's over, I'll hopefully have you on one more time. And a few more quick shout-outs. Shout-out to my parents. My dad's the main reason I have the passion for sports that I have. Thank you for always coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you to all my siblings for listening in. I appreciate it. It truly does mean a lot to me. Thank you to all my family and friends everywhere. If I'm forgetting you, I apologize. Shout out to Auntie Lisa as well. Thank you for always listening in. I don't mean to miss people here and, and forget, so I do apologize for forgetting people here along the way. Shout out to uh, a couple people that have always come on. Mark Walsh, the legend. Thank you for always coming on, coming on and giving me your takes. Thank you to the sports guru, Mike Hurley. Thank you to the Sports Encyclopedia, Paul. Thank you to the Sports Aficionado. Uh, that is my Uncle Frankie. almost forgot for a second with all these nicknames. Shout out to Dan the Man from Hasbrook Heights, the King of Hasbrook Heights. Thank you for always coming on. So thank you to Dan for always coming on whenever he has the time. Shout out to my buddy Dylan Riley, the New York Giants super fan. Always means a time with him coming in the studio. Brings a lot of sports takes and it's much appreciated. Shout out to Matt, my buddy, the biggest NBA analytics fan. I know that guy knows basketball better than anyone. He's a sports analytics master. Thank you for coming on a few times over the last year. It's much appreciated. Shout out to Coach Rob DiLoretto. Shout out to Chris Cotillo. They came on as well. Shout out to Steven, my first guest last year live on air. Thank you so much for coming on. It's much appreciated. I'm hoping, I don't, I'm not forgetting anybody else that has come on live on air. James Hosey, Cap Curley, uh, the King of Dorchester, James Hosey, Cap Curley, the sports uh, betting prodigy, Paul Gerard, uh, Liam Kenny, the hockey, uh, the hockey icon, and then I'm missing one more. Joey Hosey, the St. Mike's baseball ace, and then Ryan Hosey, Fat Hosey. Thank you guys all for coming on. I don't think I missed anyone there. I think I got everybody included there that has come on to my show uh, one step of the way along the way. And if I did, I apologize. I'm sorry. Oh, I forgot my friend. J.D. John DeZuera, he is a BC Sports super fan. Thank you for coming on always. BC Athletic super fan. 
Much appreciated. And a shout out to my buddy, Will Manzi, and then Brian Kalen as well, BK Baller. Thank you guys for coming on as well early in the year. I think they came in in November into the studio and brought a lot of takes in here. So thank you for coming on. And that's really a short list of everybody I could thank. Obviously, everybody that comes on, I'm thankful for, but everybody that listens in, you're much, you're as much valuable and as much appreciated for always listening in. So thank you. So that'll conclude my last Tuesday night episode here in the WZBC AM Sports Studio. Thank you guys for listening in. I'll be back on hopefully this Thursday night, May 18th. I'll keep you guys posted on the time. Hopefully we'll have people come on for 10 to 15 minute periods. Thank you guys for listening in. It's much appreciated. I hope you guys have a great rest of your night. Take it easy, stay safe, and stay well. Thank you, and I'll see you guys on Thursday night. It's much appreciated again. Thank you.